Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Warning. This podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spook. Girls, true crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you Hey, Spooksters, and welcome back to another Stabby Snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I am joined with my ghoul friend, Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today we are going to be diving into a interesting case that has a lot to it. A little lifetimey. It is dubbed by the media the mashed potato killer. I like anything that starts with a description of it's going to be a little lifetimey. <laughs> right? I know. I feel like it's needed. It's needed. <laughs> but before I get into that, just a quick reminder, we still have tickets available for our Krampus Day virtual event. All proceeds will be going to to Toys for Tots. So if you would like to come hang out with us, have some drinks, games, what have you, or just donate to Toys for Tots with us, you can sign up in the link tree. We have an Eventbrite thing, but that is all I have. So since it's a stabby, we're going to get right into it. And obviously, we already discussed this mashed potato thing. Like the name grabbed me, okay? The name grabbed me. But <laughs> it's also going to fit into our theme that we have going this month of family stuff. Oh, good. Of family stories and cases. So it fit both. And then also, y'all, I don't think you know this, but Jessica and I have this inside joke where we switch words out for the word potato because we're 10 years old. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, I'm done. We're doing this because I had seen it on one of the YouTubers I follow. I had talked about it like a month or so ago and I was like, I'm gonna pocket this. And I was like, OK, time for this now. <laughs> Literally, you guys don't know how many times Tara and I, well, mainly me, because I'll go to start us off and then my brain shuts down. So I'll be like, welcome back to Three Spooked Potatoes. <laughs> so we've deleted a lot of shit that's just like, welcome back to Three Spooked Potatoes. <laughs> yes. So there you go. There's that behind the scenes for you. Uh, okay. So our story starts with two young people in love, and we're going to be in 2004, so we're going back a little bit. And we have Sarah Tarrant, she was age 15, and Alois Rez, he was age 24. That's a big-ass age difference. 
Yeah. They were nine and a half years apart. So we're going to get into problematic right away, guys. Here we are. And Sarah, of course, she's 15. So she lived with her mom. Her parents were divorced when she was five. Her dad was actually in jail for being charged with a sexual offense. Something I do want to preface, I did not mention. This case comes out of Australia. We don't really do a lot of Australian cases. I feel like that one you did was like, the only one. <laughs> so also, another reason why I wanted to do it, because I was like, have we done any other ones? I can't remember. I mean, unless this is an old statistic, I'm pretty sure that Australia has a very low murder crime rate. Yeah, that was another reason why I picked it too. So yeah, fun fact. Okay, now we'll get back to the story. So obviously, Sarah's mom was like, mm, I don't like this age difference. Fuck no, because uh, hello, wholeheartedly agree. She's a child. He's an adult. They're almost 10 years of difference. And I'm like, okay, I understand when you're older, that age difference is okay or whatever. But like when you're 15, no, I'm sorry. Fuck no. Mm-mm. I mean, at nine and a half years apart, you're already rounding up to 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, dude, you're so close to being able to rent a car without a co-signer, so. Exactly. And she doesn't even have her learner's permit. I know. So, obviously, her mom and her got into, like, fights a lot about this relationship because, of course, she's like, no, I'm going to be with him. Ah. So, to solve this arguing, she dipped out, she ran away from home, and she went to live with Eloise, who also lived with his mom, Zonia. It's noted that Sarah's mom tried to get her to come home and break them up many, many times, but she was never successful. Just a little less than two years later, but into 2006, the couple would have their first child. And if you're keeping track, yes, this is before Sarah even turned 17. Right. And they would go on to have three more children, with the last one being born in 2011. Okay. Now, Eloise had an interesting background. He had previously been a part of a biker gang called the Rebels Outlaw. Okay, Mr. 24-year-old got so much past. Yeah, I don't I don't know. And it's funny because I mean, I'm not trying to like stereotype biker gang people, but it's like when you look at him, he doesn't really look like someone who would be in a biker gang. I don't know. Maybe Australian biker gangs are a lot different than United States biker gangs. Right? Because when I think of that, what I think of is like Mayans and Sons of Anarchy. (laughs) (laughs) You don't think Wild Hogs? I forgot about that. (laughs) No. (laughs) Is that like Tim Allen? Is Tim Allen in the movie? Tim Allen, John Travolta. It's like all the old guys. Yeah. So they lived with uh, his mom. So it was like the couple, their kids, and Zanya, the mom. They all lived together and they actually moved around quite a bit, basically to remain safe. Because like I said, he parted ways with this gang and, you know, that's not always like the best safest thing sometimes. They lived in a bunch of different areas, including Central Coast, Port Stevens, and Newcastle. Now, while living in Newcastle, they actually connected with an old family friend named Raymond Roth. And Raymond had went to school with Zonia in Dubbo and had a son that was actually the same age as Eloise. So the two boys played sports together. They were friends. Everyone, you know, it was like family. Everyone was family friends, basically. But when Zonia and Eloise left Dubbo, they kind of lost contact a little bit. But Raymond kept in contact with her brother. So it was like they went from like friends to acquaintances, basically, at that point. 
But like I said, they reconnected in Newcastle because Raymond, he had actually been married for 30 years to his wife, Kathy, but sadly she had gotten cancer. So the treatment facility she went to was there in Newcastle. So that's how they all reconnected. And then that's how he also would be introduced to Sarah and their kids. And I guess the Aloise and Company, as I like to call them, because I'm like, I'm not going to say all these names a hundred times. <laughs> so Aloise and his family, they were looking to move again, and it kind of sounded like maybe get settled a little bit. So that plus rekindling this friendship with this longtime family friend, they decided Dubbo was the place to go. And it was described as like a country-ish type town. So like, you know, kind of quieter and things like that. And it was also because, you know, on top of all of that, this is somewhere familiar to Alois and Zanya. So they felt like it was the right choice. Sarah had never lived there, but she was like, all right, let's do it. Let's move there. Cool. And sadly, just a month before they would all move there, so May 2012, Raymond had become a widower at the age of 51. Kathy sadly passed away. But Aloise and them would come to Dubbo the following month in June for their move, and they actually stayed with Raymond for about two weeks while they finalized the purchase of their home, and that is located on Alfred Street. I'm assuming it was a decent-sized house because it had Aloise, Sarah, Zonia, the kids, And they had a roommate move in with them who also had a daughter, and his name was Hamish. There was some renovations they wanted to do slash needed to be done on the house. So they got to work, and Raymond volunteered to come over and help. He said he was very lonely at this time, which is understandable. His wife of 30 years passed away the previous month. So totally get that. You know, he wants company and to keep busy. So he helped with the renovations, and then it said that he and Sarah, who at this point is 24, Raymond is 51, they hit it off and became fast friends. And he would help out with the kids. It was another family to him, basically. But then things changed just a little bit. So they quickly became very close friends, and they were essentially, in one of the videos I watched, they're like, they were each other's therapists, like their friends, because they were confiding in each other about stuff with life, right? Raymond would talk about, you know, his grief and all of that with everything going on with him losing Kathy. And then on Sarah's side, she would talk about the relationship problems she was having with Eloise. And she said that basically he was turning into a different person who was very lazy and very demanding. And she just, you know, it was causing issues. And it was also noted that he had a short temper, which wasn't always the made the greatest situation for Sarah, basically. She would also vent about how his mom was just very criticizing of everything she did. So the friendship would escalate. And it was said that one day Sarah, quote, exposed herself and asked Raymond if he liked what he saw. Then fast forward to January of 2013, and we'd have some more stuff going on fairly quickly. So it was said around this time was when Sarah would start sending Raymond explicit photos of herself to him. Mm. It was noted that he encouraged this behavior. He never asked her to stop or bringing up how this was wrong, anything like that. He was just going with it. Got it. Yes. So then, not surprising, by March, things would become physical with their relationship. The two of them would start having sex. They would basically meet up every day during the week around town while the kids were at school. And he had been around the house tons. So, of course, like neighbors would be like, oh, it's a familiar dude. I don't know if they'd know his name or whatnot. But at that point, they were like, we have to be sneaky. We cannot do this in the house type of situation. 
And it was said in one of, another video I watched that uh, their favorite place to have sex was under a bridge. That is so classy for the trolls. Just trolls. Right? With that, sometimes they'd meet up twice a day. And along with all this, they began to write long love letters to each other at this time. One of them from Sarah was talking about the relationship and how it, quote, had given her a new meaning of life and something to live for and promised to be his beautiful wife and bride, end quote. And Raymond's letters back would actually discuss, like, talking about losing Kathy and then in the same beat, talking how he wanted to marry Sarah and be a father to her children. I mean, as the child of a widower who married quite quickly after, I think there is a psychology aspect that men crave companionship. Women are more likely to be like, I can be on my own. Mm-hmm. And men are like, I need someone, which is weird because if you were to ask a man, they would probably say it was the other way around. Right. So we're going to fast forward a couple more months and we're going to get to May now. And Sarah had told Raymond that she just wanted Eloise gone so they could move on with their lives. That's clever wording. Right. And so then in June, Sarah would find out something. She was pregnant. And because of how her activities were going, she was pretty, pretty sure it was Raymond's and not Eloise's at all. Obviously, he did not know any of this at the time, but she would tell Raymond. And I think Raymond was kind of starting to be over this like double life thing because he gave her an ultimatum. He told her she had three weeks to break it off with Eloise or he was gone. He was going to dip out. That was it. So it was like time to pick. I mean, good for him. Yeah. I mean, can't blame him, right? At this part. Right. So then another month goes by and of course she hasn't left him. So on July 23rd, 2013, Aloise must have started figuring things out because he actually confronts Sarah about having an affair with Raymond. And of course she denies it. And so they get into this big argument and sadly it turns physical. There's a history of abuse with their relationship. He pushed her and then drug her down the hallway during this argument. She did manage at some point during all of this to get to her cell phone and she texted Raymond to call the cops, which he did. But once the police got there, she told them that everything was fine. There was nothing to investigate. So they said, okay, and then they left. I just think it's weird because she asked for them to be called. Like typically at that moment, people are like willing to like at least go with help. And then from what I've seen, like backtrack later, be like, no, I didn't do this yeah or no this is not you know whatever but i'm just really confused why she would text raymond to call the police because that opens up a whole other can of bullshit oh yeah and he had the same thought so two days after that happened he met up with sarah and he's like what the fuck like why didn't you tell them what he did to you because they could have arrested him and then he wouldn't be around and that would have got them what they wanted right and then he also said like he wanted to become a couple publicly he didn't want to hide their relationship anymore he want you know he wanted to live his life with her and he's like Eloise has got to go he's got to get out of the picture we have to do something about this so they made a plan So what happened was he gave Sarah some sleeping pills that he had that were Kathy's prescription. They were like leftover or whatever and said she needed to mix it into his food to knock him out, not to kill him, just to make him like pass out and out of it. And he said, after this, what's going to happen is I'm going to come over 
and I'll take care of him. He didn't go into detail because he didn't want her involved in this part of the plan. He also instructed her, once Eloise was out, to leave the front door unlocked, disconnect their security camera they had out front, and also the motion sensor light that was, like, in the driveway. Along with that, she would need to put some towels on the bed prior to Eloise laying down, or her putting him there, kind of however that plays out. Also, another thing, another factor, because they have other people living with them, they needed to make sure that they waited until his mom, Zonia, went out of town because she actually had a trip to Sydney coming up in just a few days, so that was going to be their best time. And then they also briefly discussed that when they would get questioned, because they knew they would, because it's the girlfriend and his, like, one of his best friends, what they would say. And their plan was to blame it on the biker gang. Oh. So Sarah took the pills with her and she was in. Okay. This is starting to make sense. Yes. So that conversation happened on July 25th. Then three days after this, so July 28th, that's when his mom was leaving for her Sydney trip. And she was going to be gone for a whole week. So plenty of time for them to do their stuff. And Sarah actually took her to the train station to see her off, basically, and then came home to get ready for the plan. She made dinner, and with that dinner included the mashed potatoes. So with those mashed potatoes, I'm sure you guys can guess, she mixed in the crushed up sleeping pills for him, and they ate dinner. Well, after a bit, Hamish came home with his daughter and noticed that Eloise seemed a bit off. Now, he's an abusive asshole, but he wasn't into drugs or anything. So this was like a red flag to Hamish. He's like, is everything okay? Are you feeling all right? You're acting a little weird. And Eloise at the time was, I don't know if he got hurt or something, but he was prescribed some painkillers for his neck and his back. So he's like, oh, I think it's just making me kind of tired, you know, not used to this kind of stuff. Like, I'm going to go to bed here in a little bit. It's cool. I'm fine. So he's like, all right, see you later. And that was the last time he'd ever see him. Now, while Sarah is waiting for Eloise to pass out, she's been texting Raymond updates, including a text that said, quote, I'm hoping he drops off soon. I'm tired of waiting. And then another one had said, I'm not letting anything get in the way of tonight. And like just all these disgusting things. So, you know, he eventually did pass out, like went to bed, fell asleep, what have you. And, you know, she let Raymond know. And Raymond would arrive over to the home at about 2 a.m. And he had Sarah leave the bedroom and told her, keep an eye out because Hamish is there sleeping, like they're, they're sleeping um, in a different part of the house. Well, what's interesting is, like I said, slept through the whole thing, but he woke up at one time in the night and he said Sarah was standing in his doorway just like intensely staring at him. And of course, he's like half asleep and it's the middle of the fucking night. So he's like, the fuck you doing? <laughs> like, what the hell? And she's, he said she didn't answer him. She just kind of like stared at him and then walked away. So he's like, OK, she's just whatever. So he's like rolled over and went back to sleep kind of thing. People to me. <laughs> yes. He's like, okay, you're fucking weird. Bye. <laughs> There's nothing sus about this situation. I shall just roll over and go night night. It's fine. <laughs> okay. So Raymond finishes up his part of the plan and he can't lift the body by himself. So he asks Sarah to help him take it to his trunk. So they wrap him up in the comforter, like the bedding that's on the bed, and they grab a couple of his personal items. And before he left, he instructed Sarah to hose down the driveway completely, which she did. 
Now, even to this day, I'm just going to tell y'all, we don't know exactly how Aloise was killed because they have never found his body. Shit. Well, maybe Raymond just gave him to the biker gang. I mean, I don't know. But it's believed that by the investigators that he was dumped somewhere between Dubbo and Nungan. I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm so sorry. Basically, for anybody who doesn't live in New South Wales. Oh. On a map, it was like this broad distance of like almost two and a half-ish hours in driving. So it was like a vast area of land. But we'll talk about that more in a minute. It's like Nevada. Just a lot of openness. Yeah. So everything's done, and Sarah and Raymond just go on like nothing's going on. Apparently, it was normal for Eloise to kind of like be out and about or be gone for like a couple days, like for work or something. But eventually, Hamish is like, this is weird. Where the fuck is he? And tried to call him or text him and got no response. Then it was said that his aunt, Zonia's sister, was like, hey, nobody's seen or heard from him. You should probably go home and like, because this was towards the end of her trip and see what the fuck is going on, because this is just weird. This would now put us at August 2nd. So just barely a few days later. And what was frustrating about this is there's a lot of conflicting stuff. So depending on the source, It has varying info on who went to the police to do the missing persons report. So some say it was his family. So like his mom and his aunt went. And then others say that Sarah and Raymond went, which that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm pretty sure it was his mom and them that did it. It would make sense if it was Sarah that went to do it. Yeah. Because girlfriend, mother of his children, Mm -hmm. he's been missing. I get that she's probably a little miffed at him because he's drug her down the hallway. You know, a few extra days, I could understand. Yeah. So uh, long story short, you know, missing persons report. It's on police radar now. This went exactly how they planned. And when they initially talked to them, they're obviously not interrogating them. At first, they're just trying to find out, like, what's going on. And so, you know, they're like, we have no idea where he was, but maybe it had to do with the biker gang. And that's, I mean, you know, that's why we moved here after all and have moved a bunch and, you know, tried to pull all that in. But the thing was that apparently... When they looked into this, like, Eloise was, like, legit done. And he most definitely had not had any contact with anybody from the biker gang for, like, years at this point. So I'm guessing his stint with it was probably just, like, very short-lived. See, that part doesn't make sense to me because it's, like, either you're done with it and, like, you didn't need to move around a bunch or, like, you were but you did something fucking shady. And we know that people have, like, long memories and short tempers. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. But it was basically like all these weird interweaving things. So basically, the cops were like, mm, I don't know if I buy this. Like, cool, you moved some. But like, no, we're not just going to be like, that's the answer. You know what I mean? They're like, we're going to actually look into this. And when they were talking about him, they were also like, you know, he wasn't afraid to be vocal. So his family was like, you know, if something was going on, he would have said something to the police, you know, if he was worried about his life being threatened or his kid's life being threatened. So they're just like, "Mm, you're full of shit. So that's what happened with that. And they're like, okay, well, can we come look at the house? Can we come just like take a look? Is that cool? And Sarah's like, sure, come on over. So when they were there, they found that some of his personals were gone, his phone and his keys, but his wallet was still there. Because another thing they tried to say was like, oh, he maybe had went out and was like doing stuff and then just never came home. They're like, he would have taken his wallet. Okay. 
you have to always take the wallet. Right. Because at some point, like, I could see where someone didn't take their keys. Right. Because it sounds like Sarah was home. Mm -hmm. And if he just wanted to leave and he wasn't leaving in his car... I've gone out with my husband and just not brought my purse or keys, just brought my phone. I never bring my keys if I don't need them. Yeah. Right. Like, I could totally see that, but like, not the wallet. Like, I'll pull my wallet out of my purse to go. Yeah. So they're like, this is sus. This is very, very sus, but okay. So now they're really like, "Mm, what's going on here? So at this point, they're like, we're going to take a look at Sarah and Raymond some more. They end up doing an official search on the home. And guess what? They found some blood in the crack of the concrete in the driveway because she missed a spot. Oh, shit. Yes. So they would take this and they're like, oh, God, okay. It didn't sound like Sarah had her own car or something. But anyway, they ended up getting Raymond's car because they're like, we're going to go with our gut and we're going to get it. We're going to get a warrant on this and take this car. They took it. And you know what they found? They found a fuck ton of dry blood in the trunk i just stared at tara like you didn't even clean that like rent a carpet cleaner okay nope they did not so they you know they'd send it off and uh no spoilers this would come back and guess whose blood it is it's eloise's so they're like okay here we go and uh so things are not looking good to say the least and along with this when all of this is going on There was actually a fisherman who had been out on this river that's kind of like nearby them, and he saw a bed sheet in the water, and this wasn't like something normal just to be floating down this river. So the fisherman's like, "Mm, that's weird. So he called the cops, and he's like, I don't know what that's from, but it could be nothing, but got to look at it. Could be something. Could be something, and it was something. So it not only matched the description of, like, what kind of bedding and stuff there was, but, like, they had it tested, and they found dog hair on it. And guess whose dog hair was on it? It was Raymond's. Raymond's dog hair was on it. So long story short with that, All of that, plus the blood, because, like, the blood takes a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. They got a search warrant for Raymond's house, and they found some interesting things. They found all the said love letters that I mentioned earlier, and they also found some of Sarah's underwear. (sighs) Girl, you nasty. Yeah. So, again, things are not looking good for them. So, at this point, they're like, we're going to call these bitches in, and we're going to fucking interrogate them, right? Take their cell phones, see what the fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. And of course, of course, no one's going to be surprised at this point. They did not delete any of the texts from that night. They're all still in their phone. You got to make it harder for the cops. You got to make it so that they get a subpoena and it takes weeks. And, (laughs) you know, also, you should have probably got some burners. Just say it. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're too stupid. So police are getting little transcripties printed out of these text messages, right? They just kind of like flop them down and they're like, what's all this mean? What's this mean, Sarah? And she just starts fucking word vomiting everything detail for detail because she knows they're fucked. She's just telling them fucking everything. And Raymond, on the other hand, keeps playing stupid and saying he has no clue what they're talking about and he's innocent. He did not kill him. It's like, Raymond, they don't think Sarah killed him. They think Sarah was an accomplice. They pretty sure you did it, bro. Yeah, and she told them, like, everything. And, you know, there was no way he could make up some kind of, like, fake alibi because there was literally security footage from a bunch of different places around town and whatnot that picked up his car driving at this time. So he's just totally fucked. 
side note real quick that I got to insert here because I was like, what happened with this? Like I mentioned, Sarah was pregnant during all this. Well, she would have the baby while in jail and whatnot. And her mom would actually be the one that has the kid now is taking care of it. And it didn't really have any info on her other children. I mean, I get it. They're minors and stuff. But it's like I would assume maybe they're at the same or they're with another grandparent or something. They're probably with his mom because like they know her. Yeah, that's true. Because this is the reason I'm thinking that why would his mom take her love child? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I totally get it. I just had to insert that because I was wondering it when I was researching it. So I was like, let me mention that. So all of this is happening like super, super fast because Sarah and Raymond are actually arrested with murder charges by August 10th. Damn. Eight days. Yes. And that's where the stuff stops. Like not due to the effort of you know, law enforcement there. They actually were pulling all the resources they could to look and search for his body everywhere. And when, if you read into this and you kind of read some stuff that the lead detective was saying, he was like, you could tell it really stuck with him because he's like, I'm happy they got justice, but it just, for lack of better words, like it sucks that we have not been able to find him. Like, it's just so heartbreaking, you know? So with that, they're arrested and all that. So we're going to fast forward three years and then they go to trial. So Sarah tried to like get a deal up front and she said she would plead guilty if the charges were changed to manslaughter from murder. But the court initially was like, no. So her trial goes. And during hers, it did come out. She had dealt with tons of abuse during their relationship, her relationship with Eloise. They brought up 12 different instances alone. And then along with this, it was also noted that she suffered from three specific mental disorders and a, quote, abnormality of mind arising from an underlying condition. And that basically the abuse plus childhood trauma were relevant to her mental well-being. So this was like a huge factor in this, in her actions. So the jury did take the abuse into account. And since it was proved that, yes, She absolutely helped with the planning, and then she drugged him, but she drugged him to knock him out, not to kill him. They decided to let her have the sentencing of being guilty of manslaughter versus murder. She was given 10 years and 8 months in prison with no parole for the first 8 years. Now, in comparison, we're going to talk about Raymond, and you'll hear his what he got. So, he kept to the story that he was innocent the whole time, would not give any details, would not give any answers, nothing. Obviously, this also means no help to find Alois's body. So in his trial, he was found guilty for murder and he was given 32 years with no parole for the first 24. Are he older? But that's not the end of the story. Oh, oh, goody. <laughs> uh, so both of them would actually go back to court to appeal their sentencing. Raymond was seen first, actually. He was seen back in August of 2017. And when they went back, his lawyer would say this was because his sentence was excessive, saying, quote, The passion for which the offender came to feel for Sarah Tarrant from late 2012 unhinged his judgment. He had been of sound sense and morality throughout his adult years to this point. By every account given in evidence before me, he was a solid, honest, hardworking family man. She became everything to him. With her, he felt he could be a young man again, starting over with the second family of her children and their own. Without her, the future was cold, widowed, and alone in a country town. The starkness of the alternatives overwhelmed him. Although it is no justification, the applicant's actions were motivated by his sincere, decent feelings for Ms. Tarrant. 
In short, and as stated by the sentencing judge, this terrible crime was an extraordinary exception to everything the offender's character and conduct up to that date, end quote. And the court would actually agree with this and accept it, saying that they didn't think he would do this again, that this was a very special circumstance, and Raymond's sentence was reduced to 25 years, with his earliest release date being May 8th, 2032. He's still got some time. Yeah, he's still going to be in there. Now, Sarah, they appealed hers as well. And she ended up having her sentence reduced to eight years, with five years being without parole, stating that, quote, her offense is of a very grave kind, but is to be understood in the unusual and extreme circumstances which they existed into her life. I am satisfied that she has good prospects of rehabilitation and is unlikely to offend again in the future, end quote. And fun fact, y'all, her first parole hearing will be this month. Oh, Nice. Yes. So I'll keep you updated on that. And just like last closing thoughts for me. So obviously, like this case is tragic, tragic all around. There's the murder, obviously. There's the abusive environment. There's the loss of a spouse to cancer. There's all these things. But personally, I don't know how I feel about their sentences being reduced in this whole it will never happen again. Like, okay, yes, these two are a toxic combo together, right? But who's to say that they're not going to have these type of dynamics with other people? Who's to say they're not going to start relationships with people who might have another spouse or something and they go crazy again? Because, because I realize this is a different case, but What it makes me think of is like, remember that old guy that they were like, we're going to let him out because he's too old to kill people. And guess what? A week later, he killed somebody. Right. So I really hope that they really took like a deep, deep look because on Raymond's side, like I kind of get what they're saying Mm -hmm. with this whole thing. Like he became obsessed with her and like this whole fucking thing. Like I get that. But it's like with Sarah, it's really tough because of all the abuse and everything. It's just it's tough. But it's just like something doesn't sit right with me because I feel like. Eight years is just not that long. I don't know. I agree. So that was the long way of saying, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Makes sense. That is just what I feel. Do you have any closing thoughts on this? Please tell me. (laughs) I do. I have several. First and foremost, I want to say to Sarah's mom, she was 15. And I could be overstepping my bounds here because I don't know Australian law. However, knowing that if I, at 15 years old ran away to be with an older boy that my parents would have let me run away is fucking bullshit. My parents would have sooner gone to prison for child abuse of locking me in a room and only feeding me scraps and water versus letting me make that kind of mistake. That's first and foremost. I looked it up while you were talking. Oh, good. So because they were in New South Wales Mm -hmm. area. So it says in Australia that it looks like the age of consent, because that's what I looked up, is typically sometimes 16, but the big answer is 17. But still, she was 15. Right, exactly. I'm agree. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, I agree with you. And even if someone tries to argue that, it's like, but she's still two years younger than that age. She had a kid before she even reached that age. That's one. Two, I get, I mean, I don't get, but like when you start to think about it, because I understand grief because trust me, guys, I've had some loss in my life. So I get it. It makes you think irrationally. And the way I look at it like this is that Raymond lost his wife because his wife died of cancer and my mom died of cancer. And so like watching my dad and my mom's dynamic during that time, he did everything he could for her. Everything. 
annoy the crap out of her most of the time because she just wanted to be left alone. But he tried everything, like to feed her, to make sure she was warm enough, to make sure she had healthy food, all these different options, right? All of these different options. So because of that, I could see where he had Kathy and he was taking care of her and then Kathy's gone. And watching my dad transition, I can see how a man, especially a younger man, uh, my dad was much older, but like how a younger man would be like, okay, I need to do something, keep myself busy. And then he has this friendship, which turns into like he has a longing for companionship. Someone wants to be with him. I mean, again, I've said this on the show before, like divorce is better than murder. Like I might not personally, divorce is not on the table in my relationship, but like in some relationships it should be. And (laughs) most wholeheartedly would be like, go for it. And I mean, and they weren't even divorced. Like she could have just walked away. You mean married? Yeah, they weren't married. Yeah, that's what I mean. They weren't married. So like she could have just walked away at the point where the police are there. At this point in time, Sarah had her out. Like she could have been like, this is what he did to me. They would have arrested him. She could have packed her shit up and moved in with Raymond. And then what was Eloise going to do? You know, like, was he, I mean, I get the whole kids and the custody thing and that could have been worked out. But there was like, the one thing that blows my mind on this is that this isn't a situation where like the cops were never called on her behalf where she requested it. She asked Raymond to send the police. Most of the time, it's like a neighbor hears it and the police come and then she's like, no. And that's my message. If you're in an abusive relationship and the police are there and you're scared that you're abuser, like there are programs out there. People are out there to help. Please, please seek help. The only way you're going to get out of it is to accept the help. Because this is what happens when you people think that there's no way out. People die and maybe they put him on a raft and floated him away. I mean, the only person that knows is Raymond, and he ain't talking. It's very unfortunate all around. And those children. Yes, it is. Right. I was just about to say that. And those kids, like, they're without their dad and their mom at this point. So it's just, ugh, it's so tough for them. Because, like, at this point, it's been almost seven years, eight years. So, yeah, like, it just makes me feel bad for those kids. And I hope whoever has them has them in a a loving and positive environment. That's all I can hope for that. And, I mean, the older kids are definitely going to be like, mom killed dad. Yeah, hopefully they're getting, you know, the resources and help they need and they're having as happy lives as they can. Mm -hmm. So that is our mashed potato killer story. But with that, we are going to go ahead and sign off for today. Thank you guys for listening as always. And we'll see you on Monday. Bye. Bye. Bye.